Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up, and we are live at Obsessed Fest. Joining me today, all the way from Los Angeles, Miss Janet Varney. And the man himself, Mr. Bob Ruff. So much less of a dramatic entrance when you could just watch us testing the equipment for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, it seemed good, though. Yeah. Just pretend like you didn't see any of that before that. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Are you guys enjoying Obsessed Fest? Did you come loaded with lots of questions for us? Open. <laughs> What, an, what a nice engagement for the nose, though. Yeah. Do you guys have a bunch of questions for us? Absolutely no. not. Okay, cool. Yeah, Thank you, you. You guys know how Friday follows. Well, do you? How many of you are Truth and Justice listeners? Okay, that makes sense. The hell did right. you come without questions for? Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who aren't, your question could be, what is this? Where am I? Huh? You want meme over? No, no, you're fine. Okay. Oh, I understand what you're doing. <laughs> Silly and How about a big hand for our Friday follow-up editor, Brandon Reynolds? Yeah. Also, chair mover extraordinaire, Brandon right. Reynolds. So before we begin, you know, we've been talking about... Uh, before we begin, we've already begun. Uh, before we get into those great listener questions, we, we just finished a panel uh, with Ed and Kim A. Did anybody attend that panel? you guys did any did anybody not cry yeah okay no you didn't hard inside you heard it from the source for you audio listeners uh the young lady in the back said that she's dead inside and did did not cry zach what did you think of the panel you were oh you know i cried (laughs) i cry all the time You were looking for tissues. You wanted me to get you tissues and i was trying to find tissues for myself and by the way folks that was some of my best work so so those of you that have been listening for a while, are, are, are you guys, anybody in here that's aware of me going blind this year? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of people. Just one? Uh, <laughs> Listen, what's it's your not name? that big a deal. What's your name? Lisa. Thanks, Lisa, for being here, <laughs> listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, two days before I came, I got new multifocal contact lenses because I can't see far and and read, and I have to carry like three pairs of glasses. Uh, so that's what I'm wearing right now. And um, if you've never worn multifocal contact lenses, what that means is that you can't see anywhere ever at all. <laughs> Yeah. So literally during 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 the show when some of the people on the panel, whoever, they were crying, um uh-huh. and we needed we needed some tissues, I was like, I need somebody to get tissue and I look and all I see is blurs and I just saw one tall blur in the corner and just hope to God that was Zach when I was like It was, you did a good job. Yeah, it's like we need the you know what's very subtle about it. Uh, but somebody else stepped up. So, so what did you think of the panel other than crying? It was wonderful. I, it was so nice to hear from Ed and Kim. Uh, I, I mean, we could listen to them talk for two more hours, I think. It was beautiful. Well, it's funny because it was a Web of Death panel, and it was like Web of Death all over again in that you cannot condense that story into mm-hmm. the period of time that, right. that that show allowed for. So I'm so glad that it got covered at all. But – when I watched it, I was like, yeah, that's fine. Give me like six episodes of this story. Give yeah, me eight episodes series. of this story. Yeah, yeah. The, why do those other cases have to take up the other four episodes? <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those of you – a bunch of you said you listened, so you know this. Yet still you came without questions. I'm hoping that will change here in a minute. Uh-huh. Um, but but in our Friday follow-ups every week, the way Truth and Justice works is we put out our main episodes. We're doing an active investigation. And then for the Friday follow-ups, we have people, our listeners, engage in our investigation. They write in questions, comments, theories on the case, things like that. And then we answer them, the three of us, together. Um, so we did go ahead and put out a post on our fan page on Facebook for a few questions. So I thought maybe we could start with some of those So sure. for the people that couldn't be here. In the meantime, if you guys have any questions about any of the panels or cases that we've worked on, just come on up to the microphone. All right, yes, somebody's coming up. You could form a little line. Um, we'll start out with maybe one from from Facebook, and then we'll move into the live one. Great. Um, okay, well, this seems like a fun one. This is from uh, Kristen H., who is a regular listener and poster and couldn't be here. And Kristen says, would love to hear how Ed is doing and what he's doing now. And I know that, Kristen, you probably meant, like, in general, what's he doing now? Mm -hmm. But we figured we could just ask him what he's doing now. Ed, Kim. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ed and Kim Ace. For those of you listening at home, standing ovation for Kim and Ed. Hi. Hello. guys. So, Ed, we were kind of sitting over in the green room talking about some of these questions, and we said some. And Janet was reading to me, "What is Ed doing now?" And Ed said, "I'm eating a turkey sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you been up to? We didn't get to that in the panel. What have you been up to in the last five years? Working. <laughs> All right, good talk. Thanks for coming, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> been doing good. I mean, just working. Um, Enjoying every day, one day at a time. That's about it. Family's about to get Enjoying bigger. Everything, yeah. Daughter's pregnant. Can have a little boy. <laughs> waiting on that. <laughs> uh, Kim, what if the last? So you you went through twenty years of being the only adult in the house, and and then now you have your husband back, mm-hmm. and and that's amazing. But that's also an adjustment, right? Having somebody else. Vacuum at four o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. So well, he doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, great. Um, really, I think before I was just there living, but now I'm really existing and enjoying life and um, enjoying the memories that we are able to make uh, living in the present, looking forward and not back. Um, I think the biggest thing um, is that he didn't get a chance to see Zach be born and grow up. And now our daughter is about to have a little boy. So he'll get to kind of relive that in a sense. So I am eternally grateful for that. Just enjoying life. Thanks to you guys. And they, they haven't announced this yet to the world, but they're naming the baby Bob. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought we decided. No, no, no. No, that is not Brandon's going to edit that out. Brandon's going to go ahead and edit that right out of this conversation. No, no. We would love to, but I don't have a say in that. So. Yeah. yeah. Do, I'll talk to Kyra yeah. about Do it. Do babies named Bob exist? <laughs> <laughs> Could this you is be? my baby Bob. You know, they... A lot of those old names. That's like, could you imagine a baby named Gary right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, think about it. every Gary you know was a baby at one point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I, I want to ask you a quick question because we did, we again did not have enough time on our panel. But um, Ed, you had mentioned that when you were inside, that cooking was kind of a little bit of a, a way to reconnect you with the world on some level are you doing you guys doing some cooking together or do you have favorite stuff you like to make uh, Did you just break into a boston new york accent you guys uh, yeah, you guys hey uh, this is my baby bob cooking or, uh, this is my adorable baby bob give my baby bob a big kiss uh. well, i mean we we do, we cook sometimes but i mean most of the time she cooks because i'm i'm gone 12 hours a day i mean when she cooks some things you know she likes to I mean, her and Kyra, you know, they, what is it, uh, TikTok everything. You know, right? <laughs> and I'll tell her, you know, how to do something, you know, and they're like, well, I'm a, I found a recipe. I mean, it, it, you don't have to do, do all of that, you know. Yeah. But Ed can cook. I mean, yeah. I can tell you as someone who has rubbed meat with Ed. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> it's so aggressive. <laughs> yeah. We made ribs. Yeah. What are you guys talking uh, about? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. He's good at barbecuing. That's what he does. Yeah. Do you get to do much barbecuing still on the weekends I with your crazy do. schedule? I still do. I mean, I don't do. I I do a lot, but you know, it's mostly on request. And I mean, it seems like somebody always wants some barbecue, mm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. So I I think Janet, I know you're the boss here. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it'd be like if if anybody out here has any any questions for Ed and Kim, we can we can kind of get those out of the way so that they don't have to sit up here the whole time. Yeah. Come on up to the. Mm. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, but see, we're recording, recording it, so we need it for the recording. We're very big on production. Our production uh -huh. uh, producers in the back there. He's shaking his head. No, ma'am. He just said no. <laughs> you cannot do that. Go ahead. Thank you for coming. And I just remember Bob talking about on the podcast that you were having struggles with your health and your uh, dental issues, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to. Um, I know so many people want to help, and if there's anything else we can do, if that's still a problem or if there's any way that we could help i just wanted to give you the chance to tell us how to do that awesome thank you thanks leslie i think we got it all covered uh he's done the first part uh we go back in december for them to actually put the implants in 
So I think we have everything we need. Thanks to you guys. We appreciate it so much. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. And that is, that's it's one. So I think it, the, the dentist was somebody that a listener had arranged that was, was willing to do things for, cause, cause this is all because, you know, 20 years of prison dental care. Uh, he had a, a lot of issues that he had dealt to deal with. So we got a listener arranged for a dentist to do it at a discount. And then you guys always, always step up. Uh, what was left over the truth and justice audience has, has funded. So thank yeah. you guys for that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I have to say, I got some dental work last week. When they brought me the bill, I thought of Ed. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even go to prison. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um, a couple of things I want to say. I'm one of your, one of the things that gets about your story is always thinking of Kim and all those years raising the kids on your own. And I know we talk a lot about Ed in survival mode and how he held on to hope and what he had to do. But I think for you, it must have also been so hard to get through that time and to somehow think that it was going to turn out okay with the kids and, and that you were going to have a whole family again. Um, so that was one thought I had. And then also, we didn't talk about Allison Clayton in the other session. So right. I wanted to ask sort of how she came into the picture and what that was like for all of you, Bob, and because you could only take it so far without legal help. And so what that was like, what kind of hope she gave. Yeah, thank you. So so that's a that's an interesting and kind of funny story too. So remember, this was the first case that I had worked on my own. So like I I wasn't like known like you you couldn't Google Bob if you Googled Bob Ruff, you found me teaching fire chief management classes, is what came up on Google. <laughs> uh and so I had through a listener, made contact with Mike Ware, who's the executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas. Um, they they were able to arrange a phone call. So I got on the phone with Mike, and and you know I had been through the case file I had I had that we had so far, and had done a lot of work on the case. And Mike spent an hour on the phone with me, and I told him about it. And he said, "Listen, that the case sounds like it maybe has some merit, but I don't know." He said, "In order for us to do this, we have to have trial transcripts. We have to have the case file." And I was kind of new to all this, right? So I was like, well, how do we go about doing this? They said, well, we have to file open records requests. You have to go to Smith County and we'll have to get the case file. And I said, done. I'll go do it. So I hung up with Mike. Uh, I literally booked a plane ticket the next day, flew down to Smith County. And then myself, Mike, my Mike that worked, for, that worked with us at the time, Mike Bussing, uh, he and I, a listener had donated a little bitty, uh, Bluetooth scanner. That we could like scan a couple pages at a time and then it would like send them to our Dropbox account. Uh, and so we sat for four days straight in the clerk's office with 27 volumes of tra trial transcripts and Mike <laughs> would unbind them. He'd hand them to me. I would send them through. One would get clogged and we'd have to start over with the whole volume and we'd do it. And then he would rebind them, send me the next one. And we spent four days doing that. And then we got all the other case materials. And then I got back and called Mike and said, I've got him. I've got everything. Here's a Dropbox link. I've got the full case file and the full trial record. And he's, he, he said, what, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right? I was like, well, I'm very charming, Mike. Uh, and uh, I sent him that. And, and he just, I still remember on the phone, we're just having this casual conversation. He's like, all right, 
we're, we'll take it. And uh, I'm going to assign a lawyer named Allison Clayton to the case, and uh, she's going to be in touch with you. Uh, so she'll be in touch. Thanks, Bob. And he hung up, and I was like, did the fucking Innocence Project just take the case? Like, holy, and I remember like calling you. I, I called Kim and told her about it. I called Ed and told him my BTX has taken the case. And that's how that started. And then I, I hadn't met Allison. We exchanged a few emails. And then she told me the story later when Carrie Max Cook had a hearing down in Smith County and was and his conviction was being overturned. I flew down for that. Allison was there for that, and that's when we met. And she was she she was a little standoffish, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I'm Bob." She's like, "Great, that's awesome. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic." It, you know, and we got to be Allison and I are great friends, and we've worked not that not only that case but several other cases together since then. We have an awesome working relationship on it. And she told me later that she was furious <laughs> that they're like, "Here's a new case for you, and you have to work with a fireman podcaster from Michigan." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but, but yeah, she's still working. And Ed's case isn't done. We were just talking about in the other room that, you know, Ed is out and he's free. And that was the first part of the mission. But, but moving forward, we want to fully exonerate him, clear his name, and bring Elnora Griffin's actual murderer to justice. And we're not going to stop until we do. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. God, who was up there before you? Was it Ed? <laughs> I'm just really short. I'm so glad you're home. I love your show. Um, my mom lives in Red Oak, so anytime you're having barbecue, I'd be more than happy to come over. <laughs> my stepdad does lots of barbecue too. But anyway, my question is, um, I'm so happy you're home. How is your relationship with your children um, progressed since, since you've been home, since you were so, so far away from them for so long? Um, because I know it, it, earlier you said your daughter listened to the podcast and she got very emotional. So how did, how has all that worked out? Um, hopefully all positive. And congratulations on being grandparents. Thank you. Um, everything has worked out great. I mean, it's been a little wrestling match with Zach, you know, 
with my son, you know, we butted heads a little bit, but I mean, for the most part, everything is fine. You know, I mean, he's a boy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be trying to show him things and he don't want to do it that way. He want to do it this way. And, you know, he'll always come back to my way eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to try it on my own. Uh, you know, uh, I got to do things on my own, you know, want to be grown. I mean, I said, well, you grown. Okay, you can do it how you want to. And he'll always come back to what I do. But, I mean, <laughs> he's great. He's great. He's working. Kyra, I mean, no problems with her, you know, none at all. It seems like uh, we picked up, you know, seemed like where we left off, you know, with her. And she's there for everything and does everything. She's even bringing a new Bob into the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bringing a new Bob into the world. But, hey, it's, I mean, everything is great. Everything is great with kids. Yeah. And, and I, I, did, I did learn, too, that, like, the thing about Zach is he does this crazy thing. And I've never heard of a kid doing this before. Like, when, when their trash can is completely full <laughs> and overflowing, he will take and put more trash on top of it. <laughs> And say I, I didn't, and say I didn't see it. Right. <laughs> I don't. Know, has anybody ever experienced anything like that ever? Hi, <laughs> my name is Jennifer. Um, so I only started listening to Truth and Justice a year ago, and when I first got on, I was either the Facebook page or I checked out the website. I can't remember which, but the profile picture and Ed, and I thought. Oh, he knows Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> and Bob's really short. Oh, that was, that's yeah. what I was just going to say. And then, you know, despite like, oh, that's Michael Jordan. And Bob Bob is short. You know, I mean, oh. Bob's really tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wish I had known about the podcast when your case was happening, because I was living in Shreveport, Louisiana, mm-hmm. so I wasn't too far away. Mm-hmm. But... um my big question is, I mean, you were you were pretty much taking on the whole goal and police hmm. system there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um I remember you said a few times there were you had to really watch your back. Um yeah. and so I guess I don't I I'm wondering about that and then if if Kim you and your family were uh, intimidated by the especially when Ed was first when Ed was put on trial. Uh, did did they ever sort of say, "Don't I don't know"? Never had any reaction. I don't think they ever experienced that. I did, you know. You know, I mean, this is what's going to happen, you know. And, and then I had a couple of guys uh, that were there that were willing to testify at first. You know, they put that on them, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You better keep your mouth closed and stuff like that. I mean, it happened. It happened, you know. I mean, it's a long, long story, but it, it did happen, you know. It's it's a it's a creepy place. So when, when I was, I mean, I heard a lot of stories. There was a lot, like like, like Smith County was the boogeyman, the whole everybody yeah. in there. And, and I, like, felt some of that. So do y'all remember when I finally went, I went down there and, met face to face with David Dobbs, the prosecutor that prosecuted yeah. Ed. And that was the 
the weirdest thing ever. So we decided to, he was going to agree to meet me for a drink and have a conversation about it. So we met at some barbecue place in, in Tyler and I was so like, nobody trusted anybody. So I had actually listeners from the area. Cause I, I was like, this is what's, I'm going to go there. He's going to give me a beer and then they're going to have somebody pull me over or he's going to like, something's mm-hmm. going to, or say something happened that didn't happen. And so I had listeners in the area that I had talked to that, uh, that all went to the place ahead of time and positioned themselves in four different out. <laughs> places in the bar and, and were like setting up like little GoPros and cameras and stuff to film the whole thing. J- just so not that I was trying to get him just so he couldn't get me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they're like reporting. They're like, I think he's doing the same thing. Yeah. Or like what? And they're like, like, like there's these guys, like they came in together and then they all went and sat in different corners of the, like <laughs> there's a guy sitting right next to me at the bar with a GoPro. I don't know what, <laughs> like, like, yeah, it was, it was, it was like something out of a movie. It was super weird. I mean, I mean, we ended up just having our conversation and going about our business afterwards, but yeah. Did you tell that story on the podcast? I don't remember that. I don't think so. It just occurred to me. I may not have told people that I had the meeting with David Dobbs at the, on the podcast. <laughs> well, Whoops. no, we know you did, but I just, I don't, yeah, I just feel like I would have remembered that there were like listener plants in the crap. Yeah. Know, no, I don't, I don't think I did because I don't think I wanted him to know. So don't, sure. don't tell him. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. But. Um, and just real quick, um, you're not because you, Work too far from the border with Louisiana. Do you ever do any cage? No, not too much. <laughs> not too much. <laughs> I was just going to ask the sound guy if that microphone's on, but it is kind of quiet. <laughs> Does it sound like it's coming through those board. speakers at all? Oh, okay. Through. We'll get closer. Speak up. Project. Project. Hi. Oh. Um. So a lot of us are fortunate enough not to have been in a situation where we are afraid of the police um, or concerned um, by people who are supposed to serve and protect us, except for maybe when we get pulled over and we're like, please, no speeding ticket. Um, But are you at a point in your life where maybe you've passed that and you have a trust or you feel like in general police are there to serve and protect or do you still have that like feeling in the pit of your stomach or that, I don't know what happens to you when you think of your family encountering the police or for any given reason, you feel like you'd call nine one one and you'd be expecting that they're there to, to serve you and take care of you. Or do you have doubts there? I mean, it's still in the pit of my stomach, you know, but I feel like they are there to serve and protect, you know, you know, I got pulled over one time for speeding, and I was going 42 and a 35, you know, and I was kind of kind of nervous, you know, but the guy came up and talked to me, you know, it wasn't a big problem. You know, he still wrote me a ticket. But, hey. <laughs> for seven over? Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I don't really, I don't have any ill will toward them, you know, but I, I still be cautious, you know. How did, how did you feel? I'm curious. So like when you got pulled over in them, is that, was that your first interaction with police since you've been out? Pretty much. Was it, did you have any, like, like as you see the lights on behind you, did you have any kind of anxiety or anything about it? Or just, I was a little nervous at first, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, cause when I worked at the city of Dallas, I mean, 
we all work together. I mean, they we oh, all right, punch, right, we all right, punch yeah. in at the time clock together. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, man, the police work here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all get in our cars and everybody, they go that way. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was every day. I have two questions, if you'll allow it. Yeah. The first one you just kind of touched on, the next steps are to find out is, yeah, killer. So right. We have any leads there? I could be. I have my ideas. Um, we're still waiting on some evidence. It's just like everything else in the system. There are steps and hurdles to get through. We have, you know, the I think the fingerprints from the phone in Elnora's trailer are what's going to solve this case. The FBI has those fingerprints in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have the Innocence Project working with the prosecutor's office to get those prints so that we can compare them to some other known prints that we have now. Um they won't FBI won't release those prints to a defense attorney. They'll only release them to the state. So you and the and the state there, there's a new prosecutor. He's been like it sounds like he's willing to work and play ball, but it also sounds like he's just not doing it. Like the, every six months I'll talk to Allison, remind her to give them a bump, she'll give them a bump, and they'll, you know, and about let's get these, you know, let's get these done. Oh, I'm gonna work on it. And then it's like time just kind of ticks away. But um I can, I can, I can promise you that we're not going to let that drift away and be forgotten about it. We'll we continue to to lean on that until we get our answers. Damn straight. <laughs> That's, That's, That's the evidence. And my other question: Ed, you were incarcerated for twenty years. Did the last five years working? Did you take a vacation? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I might, I might take a few days off, you know, but I just, I can't sit still, you know, I don't sit still. I come home now. I'll come home and I'll take a shower and sit on the couch and nod off and go to sleep. A lot of times I'll come in, get out from work, working 12 hours. I might mow the yard, just sit around outside. You know, I like being outside doing things out there. But. You should. T- we should tell him real quick about your your first night at home. We were just we were just reminiscing. So when Ed got home, I was kind of I wasn't sleeping at their house, but everything but for four or five days afterwards. <laughs> and uh, I remember coming in the first morning, and uh, uh, both Kim and Zach seemed not so thrilled about the evening's events. Could you <laughs> so, what time did you have to wake up every day when you were in? Inside? I mean, you get up at like one thirty in the morning. Down there, you know, because you you got to get up at one thirty in the morning. They're serving breakfast at like three, but it's not going to start with you. It starts way over there, and it just comes around. And if you're not ready when the door opens, it'll close on you. So you got to be ready for that. As soon as you eat breakfast, you got to take a shower after that early in the morning. Then you got to go to work. Then you get off from work. There's no shower. So that's pretty much how your day starts. So that's what he's used to when he comes home and his first night sleeping in his big comfy bed with his wife. He couldn't sleep too long. And what did you wake up to, Kim? Him vacuuming. <laughs> At what time? 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> and then he goes in our son's room at 5.30. I'm like, hey, what you doing? He was like, hey, hey, dad. Uh, <laughs> sleep? I mean, what's up? <laughs> I came in. I had brought donuts over to the, the, the house. And Ed and I were sitting there having coffee. And Zach finally rolled out of bed. First, first Ed's telling me, he's like, man, I'm just so excited to be here. I just, he's like, everybody wanting to sleep. I don't know why they're sleeping. He's like, I went in Zach's room. And I'm just staring over his bed. He's like, what are you doing? He's like. 
I know, and Zelda's like, I'm, fu- I'm sleeping. What are you doing? <laughs> um, I wanted to know. I feel like David David Dobbs was such a season two. Do we know what he's doing now? He he's a private practice attorney. Has been uh, for for a long time. I have no idea what he's doing. What I do know is at one point when he towards the end, after I had that meeting with him and and we talked, he actually started working with Matt Bingham, who was the prosecutor at the time. And they were like working to like find some of the evidence and conduct some interviews with some people and, and do some work on the case. So at, at least on the surface that he was appearing to, I don't think he particularly cared for being the villain of the story. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the point of what we do. All of us do, right. It, not to make them a villain, but to like put some pressure on, like, if you're going to do this, then everyone's going to know about it. So what do you want to do next? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so some of that stuff was going on. I did once that was going on. We had some kind of regular communication again. I I did at one point uh, get a request if maybe I could change some things on the websites that were out there because every time someone would Google his name as a private practice attorney, um, his website isn't what came up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, that's all I know about what what Dobbs is doing nowadays. And then is there anything that Justice Army can do help get those fingerprints. Yeah. You know, to, to bump that. <laughs> yeah, that's a real good question. I don't. I, I don't know. And I, and and that's something I'll, I'll next conversation I have. You know, with IPTX, we'll see because there's always this thing. And same thing with like Jesse Eldridge's case. It's like once you have the the prosecution kind of playing ball with you, and you work on the case where you have the Innocence Project and the prosecution. So that's a good thing, right? But then now all of a sudden the ball is in their court. And then you've got to be real careful about, okay, they're working with you. They're going to do their best to help out. And you want to, you, you don't want to rock the boat or upset them any, you know, any more along the way. And they're kind of the gatekeepers of how things happen moving forward. So I'm always, you know, I want to be like, call the prosecutor's office and say, get off your ass. But that may not perhaps be the best solution. We have to figure out a positive pressure situation, right? We've had, and we've come encountered some of those where Bob is very careful to say like, this is the way I, I, this needs to be phrased because we don't want to drive someone away from doing something. We want to say, we're so excited that you have this, that you're planning to do this thing. Thank you. You're the best. I got it. We do a raffle. Great. (laughs) That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) For every wrongful conviction you overturn, you get one entry oh, into the raffle. Right, right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, the, the prize is is a is a night out with Bob Ruff. So we're gonna. Work I'm on sure that all part. those prosecutors would yeah. love to have a nice meal. Listen, guys. Listen, guys. I've I've had a night out with Bob Ruff. It's not all what's cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> Just an observation about how prosecutors think and your effort to find the, the, the person that actually killed a victim. A lot of times a prosecutor will not aggressively go after that next target. Yeah. Because they automatically have a defense of reasonable doubt. Yeah. If everybody thought he did it, mm-hmm. that's reasonable doubt. Yeah. That's for sure. And especially pre-trial, you know, you're not going to see that. And then we definitely see that a lot, even in post-conviction work, where they don't – exactly what you said. Like, like, they don't even want to go start to investigate an alternate suspect 
in fear that the defense will say, even they don't think he did it because they're over here investigating this yeah. guy. But that's just a hurdle that we that that we have to get over, you know. And, that's a and, great point, and, though. And another thing, they don't want. I mean, once you start investigating somebody else, then you're going to have to turn around and let the people know that you might have been wrong. Right. right. Yeah. You know, and who's going to be if they were wrong? It's you know, who wants yeah. to do it? Follow up. Do you ever explore old cases? Do I ever explore old cases? Well, how old? I mean, his case is from 93. How old are you talking? You don't. No, I mean, cases <laughs> that are done. I'll talk to Jen. Yeah. This. Oh, I, I, I guess it would, it would depend on how old. No, I, I, Jen, so if I understand your question right, uh, everything we do is, is trying to take actionable steps. So, like, if a case has been, you know, fully like the wrongful case. So, for example, the closest thing we've come to that is like the West Memphis Three case. They're already out because of the Alfred plea. But we took that case, even though they're out, even though Ed is out, their names aren't cleared, and the real killer's out there. So, I will, I will still diligently continue to pursue those cases until we find who actually killed them. But if it's a case that's like done and solved, a cold case, like I, I don't tell stories, you know. Well, on behalf of the defense bar, thank. Yeah, thank you. So I can't ask any more questions because I already cried all my makeup off. Yeah. But I do have a question. Where's the best bar? Yeah, I don't know if I got that much room at home. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had his ribs. That is the best barbecue in East Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if we if we don't have if we have any more questions for Ed and Kim before we let them go because I know we also have a bunch of questions hey, about Kim. Ed one from me, real quick. It's not a question. It's just a statement. These questions can, are only for the audience. Is there any? Can you, Janet? Will you shut off his mic? Yeah. Uh, Kim, will you please tell the people that the baby's not named Bob? I did. The we, baby's name is not Bob. The baby's, <laughs> the baby's name is for sure Bob. <laughs> They're going to call him Bobby until he's 12, and then then we'll move into Bob when he's mature. Because, no, you know, you don't want to have an 18-year-old Bobby. It's Ugh. silly. Yeah. Right? You know. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to let them them step out. And thank you very much. Big round of applause to Ed and Kim. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Leaving clearly didn't come to see me. Thanks a lot, assholes. <laughs> we don't blame them. We don't blame anybody. All right. More questions. Well, what do you got? I have a question about Adnan. Okay. So last month I went to CrimeCon. Uh-huh. And I did go to a session featuring the prosecutors because I had been a fan of theirs up until earlier this year when they lost credibility with me. Understood. But one of the things I found shocking was part of their argument that he was guilty was that he lied to his parents about, one, that he was having sex and that he was smoking pot. And I thought, well, as teenagers, probably a lot of us would be in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Being a murderer. 
And also, they, what really shocked me was that they stated that they thought that Jim Pusateri was a credible witness. And I just wondered, what was your reaction when you heard? And I did go to your session on being innocent, but I mean, just did it shock you that so many people would think that way? Or <sighs> hang on, I'm stretching. Um... At the beginning of practice. Right. Yeah, yeah. When does stretching happen, Janet? Oh, my God. At the beginning, Bob. <laughs> so the thing is, what I, what I found with, with their presentation is the way they framed things left people confused. And then they, they had certain things they would always come back to and hammer on as fact. And they leaned a lot on Jen. And they kept – one thing they kept pushing – because, I mean, I, I had – I mean – Maggie Freeling, who we all know is a brilliant investigative journalist, called me and she's like, I'm so good. Like, what happened? Like, I, I don't know why I never thought about this, but how did Jen know everything? Like, because the way they kept saying Jen gave the story before Jay ever talked to the police. Plus, she has her lawyer there. So how could she know the story before this happened? And that makes her credible. There, there's a whole I mean, I, I could do 14 hours right now on how I know that, that that's not true to begin with. But here's the thing. Jen, for the most part, I think is credible because what Jen told the police is what Jay told Jen. And she was a good friend. Yeah. Like, it's heartbreaking. They kept saying that she talked to the police and gave her statement before she ever talked to Jay about it the night before. When if you read the, the transcripts of her statement, she references in that transcript that she, that she talked to the police, told them she knows nothing, and then she says, then I talked to Jay. Here's the, here's the weirdest. So for starters, the huge conspiracy that has to exist for this isn't that much of a conspiracy at all. I think that my personal theory is that Jay told Jen that this is what happened. I need your help or they're going to come after me. I need you to tell them this. And everything she tells them is what Jay told them, right? So she's telling them, this is what Jay told me. It's all, it's all secondhand information. She only adds a couple pieces of new information that comes personally from her. And coincidentally, that new information is things that, that doesn't line up. Like, like she remembers picking Jay up at the mall and, and talking to Adnan. And then Jay remembers her picking him up at home and Adnan's not there, right? So the when she tried the when she tried to add to the narrative, she fucked it up, right? Or she just misremembered or he misremembered yeah. what he told her to say. Yeah, and that that's a but but the other the other pieces of it were were th those are the only parts where she's saying this was something I experienced, where the rest of the story is all what Jay told me he experienced. So when she tried to add what I experienced, it's completely disconnected from what Jay had said. And, and he tried to relay the same experience and they're completely wrong. They obviously that those things didn't happen. They don't get those, they wouldn't get those things wrong. The most interesting part about Jay's interview or Jen's interview to me is more telling than anything about the police. Because if you read and I, I'm going to get, that's actually going to be next week's episode of reply brief. So here's a little spoiler for you. If you read Jen's police interview transcript in the transcript, they ask her, this is the recording, what she actually said. They ask her about Hayes' car and the location of Hayes' car. And she says, Jay never said a word about the car. She doesn't know. She doesn't even know how many cars they had. She has no idea about any of that. When Ritz wrote the report 
for that interview, he wrote that she told him the location of the car and put that the car was in the 600 block of Edgewood or wherever it was. And that's been brought up before. Like, look, Ritz is lying. Like, that's not what she actually said. But the greater point that everybody's missing is fucking Ritz knew where the car was when he interviewed her. He wrote it in her report and said that she said it when obviously she hadn't said it. So that's just more for the people think it's a crazy conspiracy that the police knew where the car was. How did Ritz write the car location in the report after Jen's interview when Jen didn't tell him where the car was? So first of all, I'm not actually dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, you actually maybe just had answered this, but the thing um, that always struck me with Jen is the only thing that's really firsthand that I can remember anyway is the pigs and shovels thing we for yesterday. Yep. But did that information, do we think that came from Jay or did that come from the police? Like where, because that's the only firsthand thing. I think it came from Jen. I, I, I think that, I think they, he told her the story and, and told her that, that again, this is, I want to be very clear when I'm talking about my opinion and theory based on actual case facts. So this is my opinion. I think that Jay told her, Look, this really happened. Adnan killed Hay. I got wrapped up in it. I helped him bury the body. He had me pick him up at Best Buy. And, and we did all this stuff. And it really happened. And I need you to tell the police about this. I need you to tell them that you were there. And in order for them to believe you as a witness, you have to, there has to be something in there, right? That, that makes you a direct witness to it. So, so I need you to tell them that you picked me up and helped me throw shovels away. I, I think it's as simple as that. Like all this stuff really happened, but they're, you know, they're threatening to put me to death. I, I just need you to tell them what I told you and that you helped me, that you picked me up and helped me throw the shovels away. And, and I think it's as simple as that. I, I think that like this grand conspiracy again, that's just like the Jay and Jen angle. I think Jen truly believed that Adnan killed Hay. I think Jen truly believed that Jay helped him. And I think she truly did what she said she was doing, which was try to help protect Jay. I think that Ritz and McGillivary originally thought Adnan did it. I think when they finally were leaning on Jay and Jay flipped, I think they were, at at the very least, they were apathetic to whether or not he was being truthful or not. I think that they were, that they either believed him or at very least wanted to believe him. And so now they're, because all they want to do is close the case, right? And it's like, oh, now we've got a witness that is saying, that I know who did it, that person did it, so we got him. But then I think they're leaning on him harder because his story is not making any sense. And I think they're leaning on him and threatening him. So he brings Jen in and he makes Jen. So I think like the police somewhat believed him. Jen somewhat believed him. And then once they got in, now they have Jen. They go ahead and, and bring the car into it. And then they try to get their final full story on the record. And Jay blows it, obviously. At that point, I think is when the, when Ritz and McGillivary knew 100% that Jay didn't know anything about this. And then from there, cause you can look, look at the difference in the interviews. The first interview is completely wacky and all over the place. The second interview is still doesn't work as we proved the other day, but now it's trying to line up with the cell records. That's when you see the police fingerprints on this where they're saying, okay, listen. We're going to do this. You're going to do this right. You need to, and they write out this list and here's the calls. You need to say you were early here, here and here from that point forward. But prior to that, I don't think that there was this big, massive conspiracy. It was Baltimore cops doing what Baltimore cops do. I have questions. I know that Maryland's uh, Supreme Court, I believe, just had uh, well, arguments about Adnan's case and about whether or not 
they were going to put him back in jail because of a third party not being notified by the state. Do you have any insight into any of that and or what your thoughts might be on that? Um, I just want to say I am a, now an administrative attorney. I used to do criminal defense work, but I also did victim advocacy. So I do feel for victims, but I also believe that you can't just put people in jail because of a third party. So that's yeah. my personal thought on that. But Yeah, well, you can answer better than me uh, as a fireman. Um, <laughs> but but no, so... The argument being made is that young Lee Hayes' brother wasn't given enough notice to appear at Adnan's hearing when they overturned his conviction. Um, he was given given notice. They said it wasn't enough at the hearing, which we were watching. Some of, I was watching live. A lot of us were. You know, he had an attorney there that said, "You know, we want to stop this and ask for a continuance because he can't be here." And the judge said, "Well." We can bring him in on Zoom. And he said, well, he doesn't get off work till 3. And they said, good, we'll just pause then till 3 o'clock. So they waited. They put everything on pause for a couple hours till he got off of work. Then he got on Zoom. So he he appeared on Zoom and he made his statement. And then and, and, and did anybody hear his statement? Yeah. It was, it was very – like I feel horrible for Young, but it was a very measured statement. He said he feels sort of betrayed this is happening because he felt like the state was always on his side. And then he said, but – if and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he said, but but if Adnan is not the one that did this, then I'm trusting that the state is doing the right thing to find the person that killed my sister. Like he made a very good statement on the record, and then it was put over. So now they're saying it, literally the argument that where they want to overturn the overturning of the conviction is just simply based on the fact that Young wasn't given enough notice to appear in person. My personal take just from listening to people much smarter than me and attorneys is there's no way that that, that that's going to happen. I listened to the oral arguments uh, before the Maryland Supreme court and the judges did not seem like they were having any of it. You know, they're like, there's no, there's no law for this. He did have notice. He did appear, especially since COVID. I mean, people, defendants are appearing in prison or in court via zoom. So the idea that his rights were violated because he had to do it via zoom, I don't think will hold up. If for some, and also as kind of to your point, it's a, this is the Maryland Supreme Court. So if it gets overturned, that's setting a really wicked precedent for every single case ever in the state of Maryland that witnesses have to, or victims' families have to have so much notice. And if they can't make it, that things can be overturned. And I think that the, the court is probably very well aware of that. And they're not about to set this this ridiculous uh, precedent throughout the state if it were to get overturned because of that then all that's going to happen is they'll go right back to the circuit court they'll give him notice and they'll do it again that's all that's going to happen not legal advice <laughs> we got time for one more question yeah damn straight you can come up we'll do two we'll do two we'll definitely do two okay what are you are we just leaving <laughs> on my way out um, no I, I just wanted to acknowledge I guess um, I'm a faithful listener someone like me no I just wanted to acknowledge I think like uh, when you take kind of you know you guys especially at face value I think um, you know a couple of straight white guys from Michigan who like guns you know I'm kind of always like waiting to hear something on the show that makes me go like, Oh, that's it. I can't, mm. you know, I can't do this anymore. This isn't, but I think like what I wanted to acknowledge and just appreciate is how I've heard like the trajectory of the show, uh, a willingness to really like dig in and learn and be reflective. 
Um, and so I'm kind of always like pleasantly surprised by the perspectives and the, you know, the takes that you guys offer. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. And then Janet, if you ever just want to hang out Thank you. Oh, and also I wanted to say, um, Kay Alana Turner is a colleague of mine. So I just, I really appreciate you guys. Oh, oh, thank yeah. you so much. But I've never heard in all of the information in any of the podcasts, like, what kind of weed would these boys smoke in there? It's the kind that doesn't they have a smell. We decided. Yeah, totally yeah. odorless. We decided. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Well, everybody, we want to thank you so much for all of your time and all of your engagement. And we'll talk to you guys on the follow up next week. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood-Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice.